0: Hello, everybody. Jace here. Quick message before we get to the main episode. Uh, You know, I try not to get too political on the show. Maybe if that's something that really interests the guests, we might get into a little bit of politics. But mostly we're here to just celebrate comics. But uh, I can't ignore what's going on in the world, specifically the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. So uh, on our Twitter pinned as the tweet is linked to UNICEF. Which is an organization that focuses on uh, areas of the world where there is a lot of strife, war going on. Specifically, they try to provide clean water, medical care, and other uh, essential needs specifically for children and families. So regardless of which side of the fence you're on, whether or not you believe that one side or the other is right or wrong, uh, we can all agree that children and their families shouldn't be suffering for the choices that their leaders are making. So please, if you have a few dollars, uh, every little bit helps. You can go to unicef.org, that's U-N-I-C-E-F dot and just look for the Ukraine appeal. Click there, or you can go to the Comic Source Twitter account, and the link is there for you to donate. So uh, again, appreciate the support, everybody, and uh, hope you're all being safe out there. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Comic Source Comic Boom collaboration. Time for DC Spotlight for the week of March 29th, 2022. Kind of a smaller week, which is just fine with us. Uh, Don't forget, you can check out the War for Earth 3 finale. Thoughts on our War for Earth 3 Spotlight on a separate episode. Uh, But for this one, we're going to dive into the remaining issues. I guess there's seven of them, Uh, including the, the kickoff of the Shadow War. So... Don't know how well DC's events have really been going. We've talked about uh, War for Earth three being a little on the disappointing side. Trial of the Amazon's—we're still kind of waiting for the action to start, which it's, the event's half over already. <laughs> so that's a little problematic. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we'll talk about whether Shadow of uh, Shadow War is is the event that's hopefully gonna gonna kick it off because we've got a lot of other events coming. We got Dark Crisis and we got uh, Flashpoint Beyond and. All kinds of other stuff. So, you know, we, our hope uh, remains eternal for DC to p- be putting on some good books. So, uh but yeah, overall an okay week, not, not great, but uh, there's, there's nothing that really, you know, was groundbreaking, but a couple pretty solid issues. All in all, we have the return of uh, Rom V's swamp thing as well. So, h- how do you feel about the week for DC Comics uh, overall, Rock?
1: Well, thank God for Else Worlds, but they don't call it Else Worlds. They call it Black Label uh, or they call it Alternate Universe. But one Batman One Dark Knight by Jock, the second chapter, I enjoyed. DC versus Vampires by Tinian Rosenberg is a different continuity. I enjoyed that. Uh, Batman Beyond the White Knight, I, I, I was intrigued by the opening issue by Sean Gordon Murphy. And so, I. I enjoyed that. And uh, and within continuity, it, I, I'm very happy that Ram V is back on Swamp Thing for his final uh, six issues with, with that. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. To review- All right.
0: Well, let's kick it off. Let's kick it off with Aquaman number two. Script is by Chuck Brown and Brandon Thomas. Pencils by Sami Basri. Inks are by Vicente S- S- Fuentes. Colors by Adriana Lucas. Letters by Andwell Design oh boy um <laughs> here's the thing about this Aquaman series i I like the sort of concept of it right like we've got Jackson Hyde he's being called Aquaman uh, you still have Arthur Curry he's being called Aquaman We saw in Chuck Brown's recent uh, Black Manta series that it almost seems like DC's trying to create an anti-hero out of Black Manta which, we can argue the merits of that, and we talked about it extensively when we covered those issues. But he, he definitely, at least for this story, going to be on at least working alongside Aquaman, Arthur Curry, if not you know an outright hero in terms of uh, – or on the side of angels in terms of, of what his motivations are. Um, but it does feel to some extent like we've taken a step backwards. And what I mean by that is we had a lot of growth – from Jackson Hyde in the Aquaman Becoming series. And in this issue, you know, we saw at the end of last issue that the first debut issue that Arthur Curry was already working alongside Black Manta. And then Jackson shows up at this uh, aircraft hangar in Paris, France, and is surprised to see Arthur Curry working alongside Black Manta. And that's where this issue picks up. And Jackson, despite us seeing him sort of mature, in that Aquaman Becoming series, uh, he goes back to being this immature, petulant, uh, unthinking character. And I get that at the end of that Aquaman Becoming series, that there were some really emotional moments and Jackson's mother currently is in some sort of coma and she's, she's hurt, and there's still issues going on between Atlantis and Zabel, which, you know, there always are. Uh, But, you know, he feels sort of responsible for that with, uh, the fact that it's it's sort of his family, his grandmother, his sister, who have caused a lot of the most more recent unrest and s- the political frictions between the two places. And he, he's got a foot in each of those worlds, both Zabel and, and Atlantis. And so he feels sort of, you know, torn between the two. So I get that he's got a lot of stuff going on. Right. And that could lead to some some angst and some um, s- some emotional outbursts or whatever. But I, I just feel like, and maybe th- this stems from that fantastic uh, Future State Aquaman series that we got from Brandon Thomas with art by um, Daniel Sampere. I just expect more from Jackson Hyde because we've gotten more from Jackson Hyde, and here he's he's not even likable. He comes across as a close-minded, and I don't want to I don't want to say stupid, but really unintelligent I'll put it that way like listen to aquaman has has arthur curry who has done nothing but welcome you with open arms to be a part of his family has he not earned any benefit of the doubt or any sort of trust for you like you see black manta there and you you can't even think like you just lash out to me that's not mature that's not intelligent it's not being a very good hero and so that, that's, and that happens right at the beginning of this issue. So it just sort of colored my outlook on, on the rest of the issue. Um, the other part is this mystery of why Aquaman is working with uh, or why Arthur Curry uh, is working with Black Manta. I, like, I don't know. Maybe I'm just over the whole mystery thing because DC has been giving us so much of it recently, um, not least of which obviously is the whole Red X thing. But everything doesn't have to be a mystery. You can just tell us up front what's going on with these, uh, you know, Atlanteans that are blowing up houses and uh, infecting people in Paris, France, and causing uh, Arthur Curry and Black Manta to work together. Just, just tell us. We don't need yet another mystery that's drawn out. It's not, um, it's not compelling. It's just kind of annoying at this point. Uh, maybe if you don't read everything, DC. Uh, it doesn't bug you, but the fact we do – the fact of the matter is we do read everything from DC, and right. it's almost like every series there has to be some big mystery that's going on, um, and it, it just – it gets old, you know? So it's okay to tell a story that doesn't have some big last-issue reveal. Um, so um, I, I still have hopes for this. Uh, it, it just – I question how well these writers are working together um but again it's only the second issue and there are some interesting themes i love that we're getting the whole uh, aquaman family it's not just arthur curry and jackson hyde we've got garth here uh we've got mira we've got uh what's
1: aqualas is, um, is, is, is that is that dolphin is that is it's that not name? dolphin
0: it's, it's aqualas what's i, I want to say her name is Tila. Right? Tila, Tula, right Tula 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 that's what it is Tula right yeah. <laughs> Tula yeah. I was like Tila's T- 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 I- T- T- from He-Man I know that's not right yeah Tula um, <laughs> yeah so she's here we even see Dr. Shin at one point so I, I love that we're getting the bigger supporting cast uh wouldn't have minded seeing a- an appearance by a little Andy Curry um which we only get in in sort of a flashback in uh Arthur Curry's head um and we get Orm as well so I, I love that it's you know kind of a family affair, but I I need a little more character growth from, from Jackson Hyde. I feel like we we, we've lost some progress in Jackson Hyde's evolution and maturity as a character. So, yes. um, And I thought, and I thought the art was a little, it wasn't quite as sharp as we've seen Sami Basri's art in the past. I don't know if he was rushed or um, if he's still kind of finding his footing, uh, I mean, drawing underwater scenes is not always the the easiest. Um, so, the art was was good, but not great. Uh, anyway, what are your thoughts?
1: <laughs> well, I, I want to start off by saying what my most shocking moment in this in this comic was. It totally threw me for a loop. Uh, I, in in a funny comical way, but in a <laughs> I don't know. I'm just going to say it. At one point, Mira is putting together you know all these sleep, eight Atlantis sleeper agents. Have been propping up, and they've been blowing up around the globe. And they—they're just uh, Mira with Tula and Garth, and and Doctor Stephen Shin. They—they do the autopsy, and and they've discovered that you know Mira says, and I'm I'm reading this. Mira says, or the the that you know one of the one of the uh, the language, uh, some some of the writing on the walls in some of these places where this these where these incidences took place. You know, it reads, she says, it reads, Atlantis remembers. Then, and there's a date corresponding to an oil spill that ended the lives of seven Atlanteans choked to death on surface poisons. This was no accident. And this is what got me. She says, out of the blue. And I need to call Frankenstein on Mars. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm thinking, where did Frankenstein on Mars come from? And it's like, I, I, I seem to recall in Aquaman The Becoming, I don't know. I think Aquaman talked about going to Mars. I think Arthur Curry talked about going to Mars. And I think maybe Frankenstein was mentioned there, but the, the, the I mean, how the hell do you connect? Like out of the blue, why would Mira of all people think, well, oh, I, 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 well, obviously we have an Atlantean mystery going on here. I know who I'll call Frankenstein on Mars. That just seems like just a natural person you want to call. It's just like, Oh my god. I just I just felt that was totally out of the blue. But in any event, uh you mentioned all these characters, and I agree that it's really good to see um Tula, who I mistakenly thought of as Dolphin, uh Garth, Mira, Dr. Stephen Shin. It's good that these characters from the Black Manta series uh by Chuck Brown and from Brandon Thomas from his Aquaman the Becoming series, it's good to see these characters again. But I have to say, out of all the characters, the most immature and disappointing was actually jackson hyde and i really think that i think chuck brown and brandon thomas i think they overplayed their hand a bit they overplayed uh uh, jackson hyde they and i know what they were doing they were trying to say well you know he's the he's the new aquaman now but he acted like a boy he he acted like a boy this was this was a boy this was an immature teenager acting out and he overcame this and he he you said it and i agree with you a hundred percent we thought you know, um, Brandon Thomas did a good job with the, those first six issues of Aquaman: The Becoming. Sort of, we thought Jackson Hyde had learned some lessons from his from his immature behavior that have already been dealt with, and it feels like a regression here. It's almost as if this series was written before Aquaman: The Becoming was, and it just it seems a little bit uh, disappointing. And now, having said that. Uh, there's some potentially intriguing plot lines here, but some frustration as well, and I agree with you. These secrets are just so annoying. I mean, Arthur Curry knows these secrets, and he, he doesn't—you know, once again, same thing with Su- Suicide Squad, same thing with uh, War, for, War on Earth 3, which we reviewed, same thing with Deathstroke, same thing on so many DC titles— the, it the, the it's the same tropey. Oh, the reader is the only one in the dark. Everybody knows what's going on except the reader, and it's just it's starting to get a little bit frustrating. This is one note, one dimensional. It's starting to feel really tropey here, and it's getting really frustrating. I got really at the beginning of this issue when Jackson Hyde throws that fit. I mean, I mean, p- lives are at stake, Jackson Hyde, and you get into an argument, and you leave. Aquaman, you leave Arthur Curry and your father, while Arthur Curry is literally in the midst of telling you what is going on, and you leave. And then you go yeah, and bitch.
0: Yeah. Like, come on. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, because I, I talked about how annoying the mystery was as well. I, I want to be clear. I don't necessarily think that it's annoying when the heroes and the characters of the story are trying to solve the mystery as well, because they don't know. But no, it's when they know the answer. And the only right. reason we don't know the answer is because Jackson Hyde threw a fit. Like, it, exactly. it, because then it's a, then it's a plot device. Yeah. Like, Oh, we would know, like Arthur knows what's going on. Black Manta knows what's going on. There's any number of other characters <laughs> that know what's going on. We, uh, as a readers don't know what's going on because. Oh, every time somebody's about to explain it, you change the scene or disaster strikes or Jackson Hyde throws a fit. That's the, the stuff that annoys me. Yeah. If, if Black Manta and Arthur Curry didn't know either and we're trying to figure it out, then I'm along for the ride with them trying to figure it out. But it's, it's an artificial mystery, right? It is. It's it's
1: forced. And, and you, yeah, sir. uh, And I was just going to say at the beginning and, and I, I, I fault, you know, let's, let's, let me uh, proportion my criticism, constructive criticism here of both Brandon Thomas (laughs) and Chuck Brown. Uh, I'll, I'll ascribe uh, what I think is a, mischaracterization of Jackson Hyde, or at least the regression of his character here, of the lessons he's already learned. Same thing I can say to Chuck Brown. He knows that, I mean, even uh, David Hyde, the Black Manta, why did Why did he intentionally try to antagonize his son? At the end of the Black Manta series, it looked as if David Hyde, the Black Manta, had sort of come to some realization about wanting to maybe get closer to his son, Jackson Hyde. And here he has an opportunity And he's poking his, he's poking, he's poking at him. He's antagonizing him. He's trying to get his own son to fight him. It seemed this is this doesn't seem. This is why this feel this feels like a story that would have taken place before uh, Black Manta, before the the character evolution of, of and the revelations of character and sort of redemptive arc that Black Manta David Hyde went through in that six issue series by Chuck Brown. And so it just feels. Just feels a little bit disjointed, it, 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 and it's what's so disappointing is that these are the same writers that wrote *Aquaman: The Becoming* and *Black Manta*, and they're combined with this story. And it's like they forgot what they wrote. It's just, it's just, you know, it's frustrating. And you know, and uh, I don't, you know, I mean, you share my criticism, so it's, it's not just me. I'm, i have I'm not, I'm, I'm sure we're not the only ones to have noticed it. But hopefully, you know, by the end of this, as this series progresses here, because this does feel like. By doing this, we've wasted at least half this issue is wasted on Jackson Hyde just swimming around, literally just bitching about Arthur and Arthur. He's just complaining. He's We've got page after page wasted. He bitches to Arthur Curry. Then he bitches to Black Manta. And he gets in an argument, and fight with him and leaves. Then he goes and he bitches and whines and complains to Chula, to Mira, to Garth. I mean, come on. This is like a whining. And this is a man, an Aquaman. I mean, this is the series is called Aquaman. I want to, you know. I, apparently there's only one out of I guess one out of three. I mean Garth is more of an Aquaman than this, but anyways I've 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 said that to death. But uh,
0: yeah, <laughs> uh, I will say so. We we did have similar criticisms about Robin when it first started. We felt like Joshua Williamson took Damien back a little bit. That's true. Uh, but that turned out. You know I talked about it last week um, with the Robin issue. That that he stuck. He did stick to landing. Not that Robin that series is over. So we'll, we can hope for the same here. Uh, yeah. that eventually he'll, he'll get Jackson back. That, that Chuck Brown and and uh, Brandon Thomas will get Jackson back, not only to where he was, but even even further, like Joshua Williamson did with uh, with Damian. I guess we'll see.
1: But but uh, we should before we go on though, we should mention like how this ends. I mean, Jackson Hyde, you want to talk about still dealing with his anger issues. He literally is torturing, or- he's torturing Orm yes, for information that he could have gotten from Arthur Curry without yes. having to torture anybody at the end of this issue. So, I mean, again, this is not, this isn't, uh, you know, again, I mean, it's, it's kind of comical talking about it, but this guy, is Jackson Hyde is one, he's just screwed up. He's just screwed up, disgruntled, bitter. He's a kid. He's not a man. I hate to say it. He's just not a man. I, I keep doubling down on that, but hey.
0: Yep, I agree. <laughs> uh, well, you mentioned it already. Uh, the Swamp Thing uh, is returning under the, the pen of Rom V. So he's the writer. Mark Mike Perkins still handling the line art. Mike Spicer on colors. Aditya Bidikar does the letters. Um, this was an interesting pivot here from what we have. I mean, Still telling the same story but it had a little bit of a different feel, at least for me. Uh, what did you think?
1: I, yeah, it, it did have a slightly different feel. I kind of like the, I, I like that, that Ram V is, he, it, it is sort of taking off at a different, at a different pace. And I kind of like that because we got the same characters. We got Prescott. We're, we're starting off with, it, it's, you know, it's with Prescott industries and it's with uh, Jennifer Reese, who is uh, uh, Levi Kamai? Who's the new avatar of the Swamp Thing? She's his. Uh, w- their relationship was sort of undefined in the in that in that first ten issues, uh, but in this issue we learn more about it because Jennifer Reese goes to Abigail Abigail, came from the original Swamp Thing series, the Alan Moore series, to, for help to try to find Levi, and meanwhile, uh, Mister uh, Mister Pilgrim, who is the leader of uh, who is the uh, sort of the head CEO of of Prescott Industries, he wants to merge his body with the remains of the Pale Wanderer, which we saw at the beginning of this series. And once again, Ram V is combining this idea of literally ideas, that ideas form an avatar, that, that every avatar of the green or any avatar of anything uh, merges with, a, with ideas and starts off as part of a human being and it's the idea, and an idea can either be a bad idea or a good idea, and and uh, again, uh, he plays a lot with with that theme here, and I think I think he does it to great effect. This issue, I should say that this um, this particular issue is called Jericho's Rose, and I, I googled Jericho's Rose, and apparently the Rose of Jericho. It means it's a resurrection plant, and it symbolizes, and apparently there are many different types of plants that are considered a Jericho's rose or a rose of Jericho. And they these types of plants are ones that they dry out, and they, they look like they're dead, but they come back to life. This is apparently a thing. I'm not a botanist. I don't know. I just Googled it. And apparently it symbolizes a transformation, renewal, and prosperity. And so I'm, I'm assuming that that was a very deliberate and intentional choice by Ram V by calling this particular issue this 11 issue going up to issue 16 that 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 that's the symbolism there that this idea of transformation renewal and prosperity that's the transformation in this issue where where uh, mr pilgrim himself makes that transformation as he merges with the body he's it, there's an there's surgery to sort of merge the body of the of the pale wanderer into Mister Pilgrim, and he sort of be you know, and and Doctor Woodrow, who Prescott Industries hired, he's sort of like you know orchestrating that surgery and putting that all together. Meanwhile, Abigail, I really like the what Abigail Abigail uh, initially says to Jennifer Reese. You know, I don't want to help you. I mean, I did this. I'm have I've been part of the Green before. I don't want to get involved, but the reason why Abigail comes back to help Jennifer Reese is because she can see that Jennifer loves. She can see that Jennifer loves Levi, and this is really the first time we got confirmation that. Because you and I were in our review of the first ten issues, we weren't sure what's the relationship between Jennifer. I thought there was a little bit more than friendship there, but you know, every now and then, just when I thought that. You pointed out certain things. Well, maybe they're not. Maybe they're just friends. Maybe they're, are they friends? Or are they lovers? Well, it appears that Jennifer has been sort of, has, has some feelings for Levi that have been sort of unexplored. And Abigail picks up on that. And her idea is, well, you know what? I'm going to help you. And I'm going to help you not for some grandiose avatar. I'm going to help you because we're fighting for love. And so I kind of like that. You know, I mean, you, you fight for many things. Why not for love? And again, you got so you got all these ideas of, of uh, transformation, renewal, and prosperity. Why not throw love in the mix? And uh, I think it works very well. There's a fantastic scene here. Mike Perkins on the art. I mean, he was just made for this series. Uh, Mike Perkins on the art. Mike Spicer on the colors. There's a great scene where you can see them merging the bodies of the of the de- de- decomposed body of the of the pale wanderer to Mister Pilgrim, and it's just it's just gory as hell. But it's it's it looks it's just beautiful, and the colors just it's It's sort of the covers are a little bit mooted, but in such a way that you really get a sense of the bodily decay of the pale wanderer side, and you see the you see the more healthier human side and the merging of those two ideas almost like the good idea and the bad idea, and you know what's gonna be the end result here. I thought this was uh well done uh, there's a style here that Ramvi has. There is a lot of exposition. I know some people aren't big fans of Ram V's. Uh, he can be exposition heavy sometimes. And there's been some exposition heavy uh, ish, individual issues of Swamp Thing. But I like it because it, it, for me, I like I like metaphor. I like theme. And Ram V is really good at uh, of really making those things uh, stick, making those ideas stick. So I enjoy that. I enjoy reading his exposition there 's a there 's a symbol of a rose that that plays out this symbol of life and prosperity in various panels and on some of these pages the the bright the, the coloring of Mike Spicer really just shines because you see this beautiful red rose amongst this shiny yellow and green of swamp thing. It really, really works well along with some like sparkles and the sparkle and the and, the, and just the, the light of life itself and knowing that there 's also the this, this symbol of love itself as Abigail wants to help Jennifer find her love Levi. And as she, as she takes Jennifer into the Avatar of the Green, she says, remember, don't look for Swamp Thing, look for Levi. And so there's, there's, some, interesting, uh, there's some interesting ideas that are, that are being played with. And of course, the concept of an idea itself is part of the story and has been from the beginning. And so if you've been along for the ride this far then I'm sure that, well, I hope your readers are enjoying that aspect of the story. Because quite frankly, if you haven't been enjoying the metaphor and the theme of this series, I can't imagine you've, you're you going to be picking up issue 11. But I, I love it. There's a reason why Ram V came back for these final six issues. I think he, I think he really enjoys writing Swamp Thing, and I think many people do as well. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. And finally, at the end, we got uh, jack hawksmore uh, from the authority a person who can talk to cities for him to show up at the end just as uh, just as this i'm not even sure what the if this is i'm not sure what this villain's called now that we've merged the pilgrim and the pale wanderer if i'm not sure if this new entity has a name yet but it's great to see uh jack hawksmore of the authority who can sort of he can feel and communicate with the essence of cities and he feels that something is off about detroit and so there's something there must be some kind of new avatar or rot or some something's not the city feels something's off with the city that that jack hawksmore can feel and i gotta tell you with with ram v playing with uh, of all people, Jack Hawksmoor. I did not see this coming, but I'm so glad to see Jack Hawks. I, I love the Authority, and hey, why not, man? We, we, we've got um, uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson playing with some aspects, with some characters of the Authority that are more common, namely Apollo and Midnighter. But the other, the other members of the New Authority are different. This is classic, a uh, uh, classic Authority uh, Authority character, uh, Jack Hawksmoor. So this is this was really good to see. So. Uh, uh, I am really I'm really intrigued to see what what role Jack Hawksmore is going to play here and and where where this is going forward. V has promised a lot of twists and turns in these final in his final story arc. So, what do you think of it?
0: Yeah, I really enjoy it. I, I I enjoyed this issue more than I had in any of the previous issues in the in the um you know the part part 1, the first arc. Um I Which I don't know, you know, what does that say for my uh, feeling of Levi Kamei as Swamp Thing? Because he really doesn't show up here except in, in flashback for the most part. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't, you know, talk. We get we don't even really know what he's up to. Um, but yeah, the art was absolutely fantastic. I don't know if they, they had to go on that little bit of a break to give Mike Perkins a chance to draw this. But if that's the case, then I'm all for it. Um, I think Jennifer Reese, especially as well as Abigail Arcane are are rendered really, really well uh, and and beautiful. And it's almost a a watercolor type of uh, colors from Mike Spicer. So yeah, I, I love this. I thought it was fantastic. And what I, what I loved about it, and again, I don't know what this says about my feelings of Levi Kamea's Swamp Thing, but this was the first issue where I felt like he was Swamp Thing, where I wasn't where I didn't feel like, okay, this is um, this is a swamp thing, a temporary swamp thing, right? This is a a placeholder swamp thing. Alec Holland will get will get the role back at at some point. Um, so I I I think I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. and and yeah, Jack Hawks showing up at the end was a, a twist I didn't see coming, but is a super fascinating concept because. In a lot of ways, Hawksmore is sort of the anti-Swamp Thing. And what I what I mean by that is, you know, Swamp Thing is the avatar of the green. He's connected to life and, you know, living things and at one with nature and all that sort of thing. And Jax Hawksmore is sort of the exact opposite. He can't even survive outside of an urban environment, right? It's not just that he can talk to cities or he's connected to cities. He literally, like his organs have been replaced. His heart is a magnet. Like he <laughs> yeah. is all about the, uh, like progress, you know, urbanization of, of the planet. Like he is tied into those things. And if you just dropped him out in a forest, he would die. Not only would he have no powers, he would die. Um, so in that way, he's sort of the, you know, opposite side of the coin of, of Swamp Thing who you could argue if he, if Swamp Thing was on a, like a planet or, you know, some kind of dimension or, or alternate reality or whatever, where, there was no plant life and it was just a city. Everything was urbanized. He would be very weak. You know, he wouldn't be able to travel. He wouldn't be able to heal. He wouldn't be able to do – his connection to the green would be severed in a lot of ways. He would be severely weakened. so, again, they're just – like of, of all the characters to put together, you know, they're both heroes. Uh, obviously, Levi Kamei still has a lot to learn about being Swamp Thing. Um, but a fascinating character to bring into a, a Swamp Thing book. So – yeah, I'm super interested to see to see where this goes. So, I guess we'll uh, I guess we'll wait and see. Okay. Uh, okay, up next we have DC versus vampires. We're up to issue number six. Oh boy, um, we find out who the king of vampires is is. Uh, we – there had been hints dropped that it was digi- – well, let me give the credits first. Uh, written by James Tynan IV and Matthew Rosenberg, art and colors by Otto Schmidt, Simone DeMeo, Danielle De- Niculo, and Rex Locus. Locus uh, mostly on the colors, although Otto Schmidt colors his own stuff. And then lettered by Tom Napolitano. I will say I wasn't a big fan of having three different people on the line work, but that's just a, a personal preference. Um, I, I thought for the most part it, it worked. Um, but anyway, getting back to this idea of, you know, the hints being dropped that the Joker was the one who was King of the Vampires, but we kind of already knew that that wasn't the case. And then come to find out it's, it's someone within the Bat family. And there's an explanation for why he was able to pass the tests, hold a cross, drink holy water, that sort of thing. Um, I'm in a lot of ways, I'm surprised by who turns out to be King of the Vampires because, it's a beloved character and I think that's why they chose it. But in my mind, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I won't say it goes so far as to diminish the character, but it feels like it feels a little bit like a gimmick. Like, okay, who who is the last person you would think of as King of the vampires, evil kind of person or whatever? Well, Dick Grayson, of course, right? Because he's the embodiment of everything good and noble in the DC universe. So Um, there's no, there's no compelling reason, or we haven't been given a compelling reason so far for why it would be Dick Grayson. And so for that reason, making the King of Vampires Dick Grayson just feels like they're going for the cheap shock value sort of thing. Um, the other thing is that it really feels like up to this point, we were moving along at a certain pace. This feels like it ramps the pace way up, um, I wasn't necessarily thinking we were going to get the reveal of the uh, King of the Vampires in this one. I'm not saying that we that we shouldn't have or, or that they made a poor choice in terms of pacing because I don't know what the rest of the um, – the, the pacing for the rest of the series is going to be like yet. Maybe it's, it's now all going to be much faster. But if it slows down again, I'll kind of – this issue will sort of stand out as like – a lot of story packed into very, uh, very few pages. So I don't know. It just felt different uh, in terms of how much story we got and, and not only how fast the story is uh, unfolding now, but um, like kind of the consequences and the impact uh, all of a sudden the, everything's been turned up to 11 in this one. So still fun still an interesting series still you know some great moments i mean dick grayson sticking his hand through batman and holding bruce's like heart in his hand i mean
1: <laughs> yeah
0: it's hard to it's hard to to beat um i also <laughs> thought the i also thought the moment where green arrow decides to to take out hal was really poignant yeah. um because you can tell how painful it was for him to make that choice and when Batman says something to to, all, uh, to Ollie about that, um, like, Ollie, you you can't just kill... He's like, hey, <laughs> talk to me when you've had to put one of your own people down. Until then, shut your damn mouth. Yeah. You know, he just killed his best friend. So yeah. uh, I liked that that was acknowledged by Tynan and, and Rosenberg. So uh, I'm still enjoying this series. I do question the choice of, of Nightwing, but it... I mean they might make it work we might find out how Nightwing got corrupted um maybe i'm just you know so much of a dick racing fan i i hate seeing <laughs> seeing him as the big bad um but it might end up working out we'll see uh i'm i'm reserving judgment um it was also tough seeing Jason Todd who i feel like doesn't get um, doesn't get enough credit he's he he always he never survives in uh events like this he's he's always making noble sacrifices for jason todd um so that was kind of uh, kind of interesting so
1: yeah i i i'm reminded of the of a c- comments made by joshua Williamson when he when he teased dark crisis he said that once the justice league dies and and this isn't really a spoiler because he this is He's given these interviews. He said this in interviews. He says in the in the in the days and and months that follow the death of the Justice League and Justice League seventy five. Apparently, Nightwing steps up to the plate, and uh, and he really is the one that leads the heroes when upon the death of the Justice League. And him and and he's he's made it very clear, and he, not that he needed to, but Nightwing is beloved. Everybody loves Nightwing, and when you think about that. When you suddenly have this iconic image of just red blood, blood red in the background, with with the black of Batman and this the blue of the Nightwing on the Nightwing costume, and taking out Nightwing taking out Batman and showing himself to be the vampire, uh, it, it really is poignant, and you can really see. I mean, what is so what tinian and rosenberg do so well in this issue is that the emotions experienced by the members of the bat family jason todd as he sacrifices himself to give the other members of the bat family time to escape Damien as he as he freaks out over seeing what happened to his father and his his blind rage attack of nightwing which ultimately is futile uh, as uh, as as green arrow escapes as uh, all, all these emotions that are coming into play and and even the revelation that I thought was very interesting that, that, in fact, it's revealed here. And this might answer the question you asked, why Nightwing? Well, interestingly enough, it's apparently Starfire's blood. Somewhere along the line, the Queen of Vampires must have discovered a secret of Starfire's blood. That when, you, when, you're, when a vampire is exposed to Starfire's blood, they get some temporary immunity to, to sunlight and to other weaknesses that vampires normally have they they overcome those weaknesses by an exposure to Starfire's blood. And so what better way to get Starfire to get that to get Starfire's blood than to control Nightwing, who was beloved in the DC universe. So that may have played a role in their machinations with if and so you get little hints of what may have gone on behind the scenes even prior to the opening issue. So I thought this was very well done. It's the characterization. I mean and it's and you know you take the characterization and then you top it off by just a well choreographed fight scene. The the fight scenes here are well choreographed and believable because on the surface you got to I mean we got to ask ourselves how in the hell can the Bat family withstand an attack from a vampiric Green Lantern, Hal Jordan and Green Lantern and Wonder Woman. I mean you think they'd have their hands full. But I actually oh I actually I actually thought this possessed a degree of verisimilitude in terms of how the Bat family was holding their own along with Green Arrow against Wonder Woman and and Hal Jordan, and in particular, I mean Alfred. I mean Batman having Alfred sneak up on Hal because Hal, you know, discounted Alfred because he was the only because he's you know he's he's not a you know he's he's the butler. As if you're going to worry about the butler, but yet it's Alfred that takes out takes the hand off of uh, Hal Jordan. Just just very well done all around. I I very happy with this, and this ends with the moment that this ends, making it very very clear. That the world is on the precipice of further destruction. That Superman has taken has destroyed the White House. Firestorm is destroying most of the most of nature. Eternal darkness is can is taking over the earth. This is the dark before the dawn, and it's issue six. So what's great here, I love the pacing because we've got another the six remaining issues will be the movement toward the victory, the rebels of the, the, heroes coming back against the vampires and, and all the odds against them. I, I mean, it might sound tropey on its surface, but it's action packed and it's character based. And I, I love it. And that's one of the, this is, this is taking the whole concept of a, a continuity free universe like this. And when you do something masterful like this with, when you take, when you take characters that we know and love and you can, you're free to do more with them knowing their characterizations in the mainstream universe, but not be restricted by mainstream continuity and you do it right. You end up with great things like injustice and great series like this so far. So I'm quite, I was quite happy with this.
0: Yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent. And you know what? I, I just realized, I thought it was in this one, uh, this moment, but now I realize it was in Swamp Thing uh, and I didn't mention it. And I want to, I want to mention it. So there is a moment in Swamp Thing when Mr. Pilgrim stands up after having been, um, combined with the pale wander, and he undergoes this transformation where he kind of looks more like the pale wander.
1: Yeah.
0: And there's some dialogue that talks about um, the idea spreading and what have you. There's one scene that's out in space with some Green Lantern. Yes. Which I and thought was super interesting.
1: And it's not a Green Lantern that I recognize because it seemed to be no. a Green Lantern with blue, a blue head, blue skin on his yeah. head. So it's weird. Yeah
0: yeah i i wanted to point that out so uh anyway let's move on let's talk about uh batman beyond the white knight which uh as rocky uh indicated earlier it not wasn't black label when it was first released but has retroactively been called uh black label otherwise other people call it the, the uh sean gordon murphy verse you know whatever whatever you want to call it it's it's White, Batman White Knight was such a huge hit that DC basically told Sean Gordon Murphy, hey, you can do whatever you want. You can have your own universe, and he's told multiple stories in it now. We had a Harley Quinn series. Now we're getting the Batman Beyond series, uh, which I like that, Batman Beyond the White Knight, because it's not so far in the future, but we still see a Batman Beyond character. Um, and there's uh, hints here, which I didn't know about this one. Apparently there's a, uh, there's going to be a uh, Sean Gordon Murphy versus Red Hood series coming as well so yeah uh I, is I that a one shot
1: was... i think it's a one shot is it actually a series
0: uh, i don't know i don't know um it, it is mentioned in here though
1: yeah
0: uh but anyway uh yeah sean gordon murphy handles the script and the art dave stewart does the colors and world design on letters and yeah yeah this was pretty solid what do you think rocky uh
1: i'm sean gordon murphy i uh I picked up his his he did a creator owned uh, uh, plot holes which I quite enjoyed. Uh, I love his uh, I really enjoy his art and I got his artist print for that series. Uh, and I uh, man, Batman Beyond the White Knight. I've I've been loving this this series from the beginning, and I particularly love his version of Harley Quinn. I find it fascinating. And I'm not I mean full disclosure. I'm not a I'm not a big Batman Beyond fan, but to be very blunt. This doesn't feel like Batman Beyond to me. It's just using the name Batman Beyond, and but it's using it in a far more interesting way. This is, uh, this is, I mean, br- this continues from the from the previous series. Batman is uh, Bruce Wayne is in prison, and he's a model. Not only is Bruce Wayne a model prisoner, but he's even broken up a couple of uh, uh, prison riots. And in fact, he might get out even extra extra early because he's he's so damn good at breaking up prison riots and. And meanwhile, uh, Gotham City is—I uh, uh, think Harley is like keeping keeping things under control there. There's there's some machinations going on. Bruce Wayne tried to set up various—he uh, he tried to set up various, I guess, foundations to help Gotham and to to help the the, the 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 people of Gotham move forward and to help them with social programs and the like. But there's another billionaire, uh, Mister Powers, who's. Who managed to manipulate and get a get in control of a lot of, of Wayne Enterprises and is using it for his using it to create more weapons and tech and taking over through the police and and the 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 G, the Gotham PD and uh, Bruce Wayne knows that it's being corrupted and so this this in, this series involves him just breaking out of prison with the help of uh, Jason Todd. Jason Todd, interesting enough, appears to have been the first Robin. And, and, and you, you get hints of the dysfunctional relationship between Jason Fodd and Bruce Wayne, but there's, there's sort of a healing of that relationship here. And then it, it hints at what the history of the Robins was here. Jason Todd was the first Robin. And I think Dick Grayson was the second, if I read this correctly. And it was, it was very well done here. And there's this new, there's this Terry McGinnis in this, in this universe that uh, ends up going into the Batcave and stealing stealing a a batman armor which uh was apparently quite deadly and uh it's upon it's a bruce wayne upon in prison upon finding out that somebody had stolen the armor then he really thinks that it's time that something is amiss that this mr this this powers guy is up to something and so he wants to escape too Uh, i love the characterization here i love i love the way that with Sean Gordon Murphy, he's tying in all of his series so far because this is the, this is the third, right? Am I missing one? I think it's yeah. the third series. I think it's the third, yeah. And it's all—I mean, this is his world. This is the Murphy verse. I mean, I mean, this is the Murphy verse and DC. I mean, let's face it, DC right now needs, I think they need a win. I think they need a little bit of a boost because I think they're, they've been down in terms of maybe some, some PR and perception-wise out, out there. So it's good that this comes out because, you know, take advantage of Sean Gordon Murphy. Or I guess he, he prefers to go by Sean Murphy now. And this Murphy verse, I'm loving this. So many people are looking forward to this. I know a lot of, a lot of guys at the comic shop, they, they are detractors. Of DC right now but they're they're coming back for this series because they love Sean Murphy and so that says something and this was a I thought this was a really good opening issue I enjoyed this I love an older Bruce Wayne I just love an older grittier Bruce Wayne and and Sean Murphy uh, illustrates him so well with the beard he just looks like kind of a kick-ass you know mother effer, and uh, he just it it really comes off very well. I'm really intrigued by by what role Harley Quinn's gonna play in this series. What role she plays? There was always a hint of a relationship or a love interest between Harley Quinn and Bruce Wayne. Is that gonna be pursued in this series? Are we finally gonna see Bruce Wayne maybe get a little get it on with Harley Quinn? <laughs> I think that would be a first. <laughs> so, anyways, I I quite enjoyed it. And uh, there's there's Commissioner Gordon, and, and then there's 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 Dick Grayson, who's also. a uh, also involved with the police. There's Montoya. There's there's so there's so many moving parts here. Uh, I only read this once. I wish I had I wish I would have been able to read it at least three times before I gave my review. But I I really enjoyed this. And um, yeah. So what do you think?
0: Yeah, I enjoyed it as well. I think Sean Murphy's giving a an interesting tone, and the the changes that he makes are subtle, but it they're really fertile ground for story. Like the whole idea of Jason Todd being the first Robin, I was like, wait, did we know that previous to this? I don't remember. I don't remember reading that anything previous. And so, you know, little, little things like that, that he throws in where it's a change to, you know, the Batman mythos that we know, but it, again, it, it opens up so much possible story. And then of course the whole reason that Batman is in uh, prison has to do with, you know, you know, relationship with Jack Napier and with Harley and, and everything that went wrong. And supposedly Jack Napier Joker was, was dead. And then he shows, he shows up here. Um, and I, I just love the, um, I love the way that Murphy draws him, right? Like I, I talked a lot about how much I enjoyed the, the Harley Quinn white Knight series, because again, it gets away from the goofy zany Harley. They don't really care about gives her more agency, makes her more interesting. And I, I, I vastly prefer the Murphy version of the Joker because he's less insane and, and feels more, he feels less like an agent of chaos and more like a, a actual formidable foe for Batman, you know, like more of a thinking man's villain. Um, and so, yeah, and I, I just like the way that he's he's rendered. I love the design, character design. And that page where uh, where he shows up and it's on the screen if you're watching us on YouTube. The fact that the shadows on the wall, as Bruce Wayne is looking up at Jack Napier, the shadows on the wall are Batman and Joker as opposed to Bruce Wayne and Jack Napier. So little things like that that Sean Murphy does really, really well. So, yeah, Yeah. really looking forward to the series. Uh, And I think you might be right, Rocky, because when Jason Todd is talking to to Batman um, and they're talking about Dick Grayson, the editor's note does say, see the upcoming book. Batman White Knight presents Red Hood number one. So it doesn't say see the upcoming series. So you might be right. That Batman uh, White Knight verse or Batman Murphy verse Red Hood book looks like uh, it may just be a a one-shot. So I guess we'll have to wait and see.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, Okay. Up next, another Black Label book. This one's by Jock. It's uh, oversized. It's part two. It's Batman One Dark Knight. Uh, as I said by jock story and art uh, are by him Clem Robbins does the letters um, I didn't enjoy this one as much as I did the, the first issue um, it, this one felt a little disjointed to me uh, it's basically Batman who's carrying this this character EMP uh, across Gotham City trying to get him to to Blackgate prison where he can be he can be locked down meanwhile there's this this woman Vasquez who's supposed to be this victim advocate and uh, you know, all kind of enraptured and, and, um, and sort of involved with uh, law enforcement in Gotham city. And apparently unbeknownst to Jim Gordon, unbeknownst to a lot of the powers that be at the city, she's apparently extremely corrupt (laughs) and working with some of the gangs uh, in Gotham and, uh, eventually down, tracks down in this issue EMP's son, who apparently has some similar powers to EMP, hmm. um, and then hauls him off to do her bidding, I'm assuming. Uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Um, so yeah, this wasn't that, – that felt like the most consequential event of the, of the book, the fact that uh, this Vasquez, this corrupt um, Gotham official – was able to track down EMP's son And and has him under her thumb Other than that The rest of the issue Sort of felt like set up to me uh, What I will say Is that Jock's art is Beautiful and it really Is a very moody story I mean last issue EMP went off right Electromagnetic pulse that's his, his name That's his power and so that has Knocked out a lot of the power in Gotham City so Uh, it allows Jock to be able to play with a lot of blues and grays and blacks. uh, And he does a fantastic job with that, which gives a very moody book. Um, I also thought, and again, it feels just a little bit like a plot device, but hey, it works. It makes sense. The fact that there are no sources of power in Gotham City, they've all been knocked out. And EMP as a a character, even to some extent when he's unconscious, his body is constantly craving electricity you know electrical activity um that's what he feeds on and so there's no other power around he's actually drawing a little bit of the uh electrical power from batman's brain right the electrical synapses (laughs) and it's causing batman to feel like he's slow and he can't think as well um can't make tactical decisions as well so Again, it's a little bit of a plot device, but it does work really, really well. It explains why these non-superpowered gangs are able to uh, kind of hang with Batman. Because this wouldn't have been a big deal, you know, back in say the late '80s or early '90s. But we've talked many times on this podcast um, or, or show about how <laughs> they've leveled up Batman so much that he's so powerful now. You'd be like, man, what? How come Batman's having trouble taking out just these gangs? These gang members with no superpowers. So I love that jock through little things like that. And it works on a, on a really, really good level. So uh, again, didn't quite enjoy it as much as the, the first issue, because I, I didn't feel like there was, as, um, there was as much contrast between the, the, the story beats. This yeah. is kind of all just pedal to the metal in a lot of ways. It's all kind of one note. Um, but I'm definitely in for the next, uh, next issue to see how it all Um, how it all comes together. So what do you think?
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think I mentioned this movie when we read the first issue. I think it was the movie uh, with uh, Ethan Hawke, Assault on Precinct 13. It yeah. reminds me of that a little bit where you, you, they had to get to a particular spot and they they only had one night to do it. And th- this is really testing Batman. This is testing – this isn't like super uber Batman. This is human Batman doing his best. He's just relying on his fighting skills. He's He's stated more than once he's running out of weapons on his utility belt. And of course he's he's potentially psychologically and mentally compromised because of the NP interfering with the uh electro impulses in his in his own thought process processes. And meanwhile you got this corrupt Vasquez uh who is uh who who I don't know, she I'm not entirely sure what she's got going on behind the scenes, but she's got her own machinations. She doesn't want Gordon, Commissioner Gordon finding out what's 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 going on and she's trying to cover something up. And I uh, and this whole this idea of this son the, the relationship between the 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 EMP guy uh what's his name again remember his name uh, I'm sorry could you you mute son i think
0: Ed, Ed, edward seems edward.
1: edward right uh but Ed, yeah. edward's son i mean that, that's an interesting uh you know that's an interesting interplay there, like his, his relationship with the son, and his son is manifesting that power. That's that's interesting. That's also potentially dangerous as well. I I'm hoping that you know we're two issues in. I'm hoping in the third issue something different happens because I, you know, Jock has done a pretty good job illustrating the different the different types of uh, situations that Batman can find himself in. Basically, just confronting various different types of gangs in the heart of Gotham as he's trying to get from point A to point B uh but and so far it still feels fresh it dragged a little bit here i thought in parts but it still kept me it still kept me intrigued and for 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 a fairly dark like a lot of the pages here uh jock does experiment with di- with a d- slightly different color palette on different levels of darkness which i thought was good because let's face it you know when you you got you know he could have, if he wasn't as creative as he is, every single page could have had the same level of tone, the same level, of darkness, same level of. But he doesn't. He he plays with the colors a bit there, with fires, with light, with the uh, with with the e the concept of the EMP. I mean, just the very concept of the villain itself. You you can imagine multiple different colors in a city that is fluctuating with electricity and electrical impulses and the like. So, he he, you know, you really get an appreciation of just you know how good how good an artist he is and the story is pretty decent too. So I'm looking forward to the final, I think it's only one issue left, right? Is this three issues? Long? Yeah, it's three. Yeah. So it's yeah. a
0: three issue. So, yeah. So no, one more.
1: No, it's good. I liked it. Uh, all right. On to the next
0: uh, event, I guess, uh, I guess we'll say, I think there's two bookend issues, shadow war alpha and shadow war omega. And then I think it crosses over into Robin and Destroke. I'm not sure if it crosses over into, batman or i don't think it does um i know i take that back it does because right here on the last page to be continued to batman 122 out next week so uh it's the shadow war event as i said this is shadow war alpha part one written by joshua williamson victor Bogdanovic does the pencils and inks uh daniel enriquez uh, contributes some inking help mike spicer's on the colors troy petrie is on letters um yeah we get the death of raz al ghul in this one what'd you think rocky
1: uh, yeah I, I thought it's funny like uh, if, uh it wasn't wasn't really surprising i uh, i knew i knew going into it that i didn't believe going into it and and frankly those of us who've been following uh reading the robin series i don't think any of us believe that Raza Gull actually or that that part of me that Deathstroke, uh let me rephrase that those of us who've been reading Deathstroke incorporated and who have been reading uh joshua williamson's robin I, don't, I think we all know knew that there's no way that Deathstroke would kill Razagal. And of course, it's not Deathstroke. Deathstroke does not kill Gall here. It's all misdirection and it's it's not surprising. But what I like about it is that it is consistent with the plot lines and the storyline that's been going on with Deathstroke Incorporated and it flows nicely out of Robin. So Joshua Williamson, unlike some of his contemporaries at DC, he he's much better at Crafting a story and at pacing, and it making this feel more uh, more cohesive than some of the other stories we've been reading. I, the the legacy of Raza Gall here. Raza Gall has come to uh, a crossroads in his life where he has come to the realization through his his vast career of, of being a criminal and an environmental terrorist, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, he wants to essentially turn himself. Uh, he wants to turn himself in. He wants to try a different approach and he wants to reveal some secrets to the world he he, he so he wants to surrender and of course this um, at first of course this shocks his daughter Taliogol saying like what are you crazy why why do you want to why do you want to surrender i mean i mean i just <laughs> i just finished dealing with leviathan i've uh, i'm i'm a member of the totality just the totality satellite and i mean i've i've got we've got things on the go here and i'm you know, we just finished, had this league of, Le, this big league, this big tournament. And now you want to turn yourself in. Well, Razogal wants to turn himself in and he, he's he's he got some plans. He wants to reveal some secrets. And of course, when Razogal turns himself in, it gets the attention of the world. And one can imagine that there's a lot of various players that may not want Razogal to be shooting his mouth off in terms of all the stuff that Razogal knows. You can imagine this guy's an immortal. He's, got, he's died quite a few times. But Razogal, also is dying. He knows that he's dying. He, we know from what's gone on in Robin and what has gone, what we've learned from Deathstroke Incorporated that the, that the Lazarus pit is poisoned and that we know from uh, from the pages of Robin that Razagal's own mother was poisoned from the Lazarus pit over centuries of use or perhaps overuse or perhaps from some other machinations of a nefarious third party we have yet do not know of, the Lazarus pit seems to be poisoned or it's, it's compromised so much so that when Talia ends up being wounded when Razagall is seemingly assassinated by 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 de, by a person that looks like deathstroke and Talia Gaul is wounded Talia Gaul refuses to heal herself she chooses not to use the Lazarus pit uh she chooses not to use the Lazarus pit to heal herself because she knows that the Lazarus pit is compromised in some way and she might in effect be directly uh, killing herself so so what's interesting is upon Razagal being uh, killed, and it looks very, fairly obvious that it's Deathstroke that did it, Damien freaks out. Batman, of course, uh, Batman knows that some something is amiss, something is wrong. He's not. They had a huge net. He had a Wayne Enterprise satellite checking out the whole area. How on earth could, it, could could? I mean, you got security run by Batman. How could you get through that? Well, obviously, there were some... Uh, uh, There's an in-story explanation as to how that might be. There There was a tunnel that was used, et cetera, et cetera. Point being is that whoever did this, it likely wasn't Deathstroke. But of course, Deathstroke right now is busy, as we know from Deathstroke Incorporated, he is working with... He's trying to create his own criminal empire, his secret society of supervillains because he's preparing for the Great Darkness. He knows what's coming too. So just like Amanda Waller knows what's coming and she's taken Earth-3 off the playing field in, in War for Earth-3, Deathstroke has seen some visions of the future as well. And so part of the way, Deathstroke's way of dealing with the potential future dark crisis is that he's, he's dealing with the... He's putting together this secret society of supervillains and... And so he is actually surprised. Deathstroke is surprised that um that you know he's a suspect for for taking out Raza Gall. He's taken by surprise. But of course, Talia Gall is angry. She wants to wipe out Deathstroke. She wants to take him out uh, completely. And ultimately it ends with uh Deathstroke being attacked. And uh and that's really how it ends with the because Talia Gall puts together a massive uh, army of, of individuals who look to be quite powerful. I don't recognize the majority of these, of these, of this, of this powerful group that Talia has put together, but it looks fairly intimidating to say the least. And they're all going to be attacking Deathstroke and taking out presumably a lot of the, some of the secret society of supervillains there. And, yeah, so this is action-packed. This is Joshua Williamson, in my view, at his at his most fun. This was action-packed and fun. I enjoyed reading this. There was, and I didn't even mention the character moments. One of the reasons you and I talked about in Robin, when Robin first started out in the early issues, we had our doubts and reservations about Williamson, but he he won us over through his good characterization of Damien. Damien evolved as a character in Robin, and he grew into an, uh, a fine, you know, he seems to be Actually, developing into a a more mature young man, finally outside of that narcissistic little prick, thirteen year old, we began to resent and hate after a while. Who was you know you know toying and hiding supervillains in his basement. Uh, but here we got some really good character moments between between Damian and his uh, and Batman. There's a really gut wrenching uh, scene where where Batman has a choice. He can either save the body of Ra's Al Ghul. Uh, or he could save Damien. He could save Raza Ghul's body and resurrect him in the Lazarus pit, but he would risk losing Damien and he chose to save Damien and, and uh, Raza's body was burned com- was completely burned uh, to nothingness. So Raza Ghul would appear to be absolutely dead with you can't you can't resurrect him anymore. A gut wrenching moment for Damien and uh, where Batman says, you know, I, I saved you because you're my son. So you know you know finally some moments here. there there's continuity of character here flowing from from the robin series into this opening issue that works very well i i and i i really like it for that reason and since we already know that that destroke destroke has a new son that is the genetic offspring spring of rasagol and talia we know that's coming we we know that from from what's happened in Deathstroke Incorporated, the, the father-son dynamic and the plot points in this series, I think, are really going to come to a head. And then you throw in this shadow war with Talia, uh, with her daughter, father-daughter issues. I mean, ah, man, they're, they're, this was so fun! Like, I mean, this is this is an expensive issue. I mean, I think uh, I don't know what the the price tag on this thing is. Um, I'm not sure how, how much. I'm not sure how much this cost. Um. This was. Is this? A, yeah. $5. I don't think they, they normally
0: put the. I don't know that they put the price on the press preview copies that we get, but. Well, oh, it's five ninety nine. Yeah, it's five ninety nine yeah, on the. Yeah, it's,
1: but, so it's an expensive opening issue, but it you know so. So for me, Canadians, we're paying about eight bucks, but I think it would probably be worth it because, the art here, I really, I really enjoyed the art. I. Like I, I really enjoyed this all around I'm looking forward to see where this where this goes and how this resolves so what do you think
0: yeah it is double size you get like okay. 38 pages so not quite double size I guess double size would be 40 pages but you get uh, you get 38 pages of story so yeah I, I agree with everything he said so much fun it is a more mature Damien that we've gotten and I appreciate the the journey that uh, that Joshua Williamson took Damien on because here's the thing. The way Damien acts when his grandfather is killed, he does get a little uh, emotional, you know, and he does lash out a little bit at, at Bruce. But I didn't take that as being petulant or uh, or immature like I may have at, at some point if we hadn't had other character growth for Damien in other, in other books. So uh, I think that worked. Uh, one of the things that we, we've we talked about in this episode is DC dragging a mystery out too long or or – forcing a mystery here here's a perfect example of not doing that you know they they, joshua Wimpson could have dragged it out it could have been like oh was it deathstroke that killed him was it not was it a person you know somebody impersonating deathstroke no we find out right here in the first issue it's not deathstroke it's some sort of imposter um and uh, obviously all hell's going to break loose and why did they kill roz and and all that kind of thing um and i i do (laughs) now i do have a little bit of a theory and i don't know if i'm just Kind of stuck in this in my head, because over in Trial of the Amazons, my theory is that Hippolyta killed herself. Uh, I wonder if Ra's al Ghul didn't hire, or he wouldn't even have to hire, right? Because he, the whole thing is he he runs a you know League of Assassins. If he didn't have one of his assassins uh, assassinate himself to to you know take himself off the playing field. And then, you know, supposedly blow up his body, but his body's not really blown up. And now he can try to do this new sort of behind-the-scenes machinations to make the world a better place that he was espousing in his in his press conference without the consequences that he might normally face being wanted and hunted as uh, this known terrorist. So yeah. purely a theory. I don't feel as strongly about it as I feel about the Hippolyta theory I have. It could be possible, but – uh, but otherwise, I agree with what you said. This is a, this is a great start. It's a lot of fun. Um, you know, if we're talking about, and let's let's assume that Aquaman is an event. Uh, so we're talking <laughs> about, you know, the, this is the final event here of the, of the four that are going on. I mean, obviously War for Earth 3 just ended. We've got Trial of the Amazons. we got Aquaman. We've got uh, Shadow War. This immediately jumps up to the top of the list, and it's not close. Uh, so take yeah. that for what you will.
1: Yeah, No, I agree.
0: Uh, all right. On to the last book. It's, uh, it's an anthology. There's three stories. Uh, it's Sensational Wonder Woman special number one. The first story is called Hell Hath No Flurry, written by Paula Sevenbergen, pencils by Paul Pelletier with inks by Norm Ratman, Adriana Lucas on colors, and Pat Brosso on letters. Then we have The Threat of Doom. I could be mistaken, but as far as I know, this is the first book that uh, our first story Scott Collins has ever written. He's also the artist on the series. And then we have letters by Ryan Christie. And then the last story is written by uh, Stephanie Williams. I'm sorry, Stephanie Phillips uh, with art by Aletha Martinez, Dexter Vines and Vicente Sifuentes handle the inks, Wendy Broom and Carrie Stachin on colors with Becca carry on letters. Um, I'll just go through them really quickly. Uh, The first one I thought was, was okay. It felt kind of like a classic DC story with this uh, like snowman frosty type villain showing up and some kids who are doing some, some cosplay contestation or whatnot, uh, dress up like a superhero day or whatever at school. Um, And so, yeah, it, it, you know, feel good story and kind of, like I said, classically DC the second story by Collins, I thought, and again, you know, I'm, I'm prefacing this by the guy hasn't done a lot of writing, and I think for a, an early effort, whether this is his first effort or, or he's done very little, I think you know he he deserves um, credit for doing a relatively good job, but the pacing on it is a little wonky, and the ideas are a little out there, and even the dialogue at times feels a little stilted. So. You know, I, I, you know, nobody's going to be confusing this with, you know, the greatest written comic of all time anytime soon. That being said, I wonder why his art is so much better here than I've seen him in a long time. Like, I absolutely love the art. So I don't know if it's because he's writing to his own strengths or he went and put in extra effort on the line work. Because he wanted to put his best foot forward for a story. Like, I, I don't know, but I thought the art was was really, really fantastic. Uh, but in a lot of ways, this ends up feeling a little bit like a Dr. Fate story rather than a Wonder Woman story. Yeah. Dr. Fate has as much agency and as much to do with the resolution of the story as
1: Wonder Woman. That's actually uh, why I liked it, actually. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I nice mean, theory. which is which interesting. But as a, yeah, as a Wonder Woman story, it just feels a, a little bit lacking. And then my, my favorite story is actually the one at the end, which is called Swapped. Uh, which is no surprise because I'm a huge Stephanie Phillips fan. And Wonder Woman and this young teenage girl in a museum basically go Freaky Friday and swap bodies because of uh, a spell that Cersei puts on them. And I I really enjoyed it because what I liked about it was having Wonder Woman in that young teenage body, but still showing her wisdom and, and her agency and her ability to inspire others. And then you have this teenage girl, a little reckless, a little overconfident, in the body of, of Wonder Woman um, and not realizing in a lot of ways, the impact or the importance or the consequences, or, you know, how much she's going to be relied on to really help save the day and, and, you know, solve this, not only solve the problem of their bodies being swapped, but to stop Cersei. So uh, I thought the story worked really, really well and highlighted some of the things that are most interesting and most fun and most unique about Diana And so that worked on a lot of levels. Plus the Aletha Martinez art was was absolutely fantastic. Um, And one of the things I loved about Cersei, like so often when we see Cersei drawn, she she has um, like this really long flowing red hair. And I don't know, I have absolutely no idea if Aletha Martinez did this on purpose or not. But in this story, uh, Cersei has short hair that's kind of longer on top. And it, you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of Stephanie Phillips or yeah, Stephanie Phillips haircut. Like I keep getting her (laughs) and Stephanie Williams uh, mixed up, but no, Stephanie Phillips, it reminds me of Stephanie Phillips haircut. So I thought that was really fantastic. I don't know if again, that was done on purpose, but I thought it was a really cool, almost like Stephanie Phillips is the, you know, inspiration for Cersei's look here and she's the villain. So I thought that was a lot of fun. Uh, Anyway, what are your thoughts on these three stories?
1: Uh Yeah, well, I, I, I'm i a little bit torn. I, I probably have to go with, in terms of my favorite, I actually liked uh, Thren of uh, Thren of Doom uh, was my favorite story because Dr. Fate was in it. And I kind of like, I've, uh, I guess I credit the Justice League Dark series for, I've actually been enjoying Wonder Woman as a member of Justice League Dark more so than as a member of the Justice League period or the Justice League of America. So I kind of like Dr. Fate there. And I agree with you that Scott Collins' art uh, was was particularly good uh the, the level of detail that that scott Collins put into his story on even the most innocuous of pa- panels the level of detail extra effort that he put in on on the fine line work on some of Almost insignificant panels. He could have gotten away with just filling it in, some of the li- the the pages in with color, but he chose detailed line work showing the showing the the spells. Almost like when when Doctor Strange, you know, utilizes the you know uses magic. You see all this fancy, intricate little weaves and, and webs. You see that with his with Doctor Fate weaving his magic, and it's almost like he chose Doctor Fate because he could show off his artistic skill more. Like you said, he was basically writing to his own skill level and I think I think Scott Collins actually challenged himself artistically more so than most other writers challenge him when he draws for other writers. Uh so I thought that was very interesting. And 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 this I, I actually like this Dracum character, this Godzilla like character is actually more interesting than Godzilla. I I enjoyed it. I had the most fun with it because it was the most crazy and zany. And as I said, I've been enjoying Wonder Woman as a member of Justice League Dark because it challenges Wonder Woman differently. Wonder Woman, uh, she's because she's always uh, a lot of her traditional sub, her traditional uh, uh, challenges always seem to delve down into her being sort of like preachy and base, uh, and uh, you know her magic lasso and what have you. I, I like magic based villains can can sometimes challenge her a little bit more than others. And uh, now I say that knowing full well that that Cersei, uh, Stephanie Phillips used Cersei in, in the final uh, s- story called Swapped. I didn't mind it, but I, I did think it was a little bit cliche uh, with, with Swapped. But at the same time, this was like, I think this was 40, 42 pages long. This story is a long story and it read like a movie. So kudos to Stephanie Phelps. This really read well. It it flowed very well. It was an easy read. It was entertaining. This was Wonder Woman when she switches body with the teenager named Devlin or Devon. Uh, she ends up literally going to school. She she uh, Wonder Woman in the body of a young teenager at school. You know she she does well in sports. She contradicts the history teacher. She corrects the teachers. She's she's very much. Um, very much what you'd expect, so uh, kind of a little bit predictable, maybe, but but fun, little bit tropey, but all in a good way. And it was, it's ideally suited for these types of of, of these types of stories, these types of specials. And again, just very well done. And Letha Martinez, the art w- w- was really good. Uh, I do want to give a call out in the first story though, uh, and that is to the villain in the uh, in the opening uh, in the opening. A, uh, story with uh, the blue snowman and uh, 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 Byron, <laughs> brilliant uh, that character. Uh, the writer Paula Sevenbergen, I think, does a really good job. Seemed a little bit corny with like with the freeze, the freeze ray, and and what have you. But um, it's kind of interesting that uh, I, I've never seen. I've I can't remember. That this brilliant character, I can't remember ever seeing her before, but I'm I'm quite certain it's not a new one. But I think it's probably a character from the golden age, if I was to venture a guess, uh, or perhaps somebody can correct me because I've I'm trying to remember the last time my uh, that character sounds familiar with you know the blue snowman. So I thought that was interesting. I love the message with this kid. That this kid, I'm guessing that this young boy who wants to dress up like a Wonder Woman, maybe he's got. You know, he says something. I thought it was a really nice moment at the end. And I, you know, and I I know that we live in a day and age where there's identity politics and what have you. But I thought this was very tastefully done where this young boy said that, you know, I heard that he says to Wonder Woman at the end. I heard you tell that criminal to be their real self instead of hiding behind a costume. But what if wearing a costume like yours helps me feel more like my true self, at least for now? And Wonder Woman says, "Well, in that case, I think you need a better headpiece." And she gives him her tiara. I thought that was a very nice scene. It wasn't preachy because I've criticized Wonder Woman for being preachy. It wasn't forcing any political idea down your. It was just respecting a young a young boy's feelings. He wanted. He was heroic. He acted bravely, and she rewarded him with her tiara and he can be whoever he wants to be, and I thought it was just a really a beautiful moment for that story to end, and uh, and a good title, Hell Hath No Flurry, which I thought was kind of comical, so overall, I actually enjoyed this better than uh, a lot of the issues of Wonder Woman uh, Black and Gold, uh, this could easily have been, you know, this could easily have been a Wonder Woman Black and Gold compilation as well, with just uh, obviously just changing up the coloring with just black, white, and gold, but Overall, pretty good, and and also uh, I'm sure uh, lots of people are speculating that maybe Stephanie Phillips is going to be the new writer on Wonder Woman, moving forward. Who knows? I mean, maybe this was just Stephanie Williams continuing to get her feet wet with Wonder Woman. Uh, of course, she's doing she's writing Wonder Woman Evolution, and now she had a forty page plus. Uh, story here in this uh, Sensational comic special, so I gotta wonder if maybe Stephanie Phillips is the up-and-coming writer in Wonder Woman uh, once uh, Clunrad finished their uh, contract.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would be all for that. I'm a big Stephanie Phillips fan. You know, what's interesting, though, is you you think about bringing somebody on like that, oh, I want a good long run five, six years, whatever. They don't even want it's so strange to me, you know, we used to have these classic runs, you know, you think about Peter David's run on Hulk or Chris Claremont on X-Men, you know, these runs that lasted over a decade and they're just so good. Mark Waite on Flash, you know, that wasn't a decade, but uh, Jeff Johns on Green Lantern, these were good long runs and you just don't get that anymore. They don't, they don't want that anymore. The companies want, you know, 20, 25 issues max and you're out the door. Mm-hmm. I don't understand that. Uh, I really don't. Like, why not have a, if, some, if something's selling and somebody's doing a great job, why not keep them on there longer? It's, it's kind of strange. So uh, anyway, that does it for the regular issues, everybody. There are a few collections out uh, today. So Challenge of the Super Suns Trade Paperback uh, is out. That collects the recent Challenge of the Super Suns Digital Series. There is a DC poster portfolio uh, of Jim Lee art. This is volume two of that. And then uh, Batman: The Dark Detective, Volume Seven, trade paperback,
1: uh,
0: and this collects adventures from Batman four seventy four, Batman Legends of the Dark Knight twenty seven, Detective Comics six thirty four to six thirty eight, Detective Comics six forty one, Detective Comics six forty three, and Detective Comics Annual four. So it's uh, it's Batman as the detective uh and especially that detective comics annual four is a is a really great uh issue uh so yeah that does it for this episode um i recently got to sit down with another bucket list creator i've wanted to to have on the show to chat for quite a while now he's been on the show before but specifically to talk about the dc animated movie constantine that he wrote Uh, i got to interview him at um New York comic-con in 2018, but J.M. Mateus came on specifically just to, uh, talk about his Ben Riley series that's going on at Marvel right now. And of course we had to touch on things like Craven's last hunt and, uh, justice I, league international. That, uh, I,
1: I got a full disclosure. That's one of my, uh, I, I, that's one of my, probably one of my most favorite interviews you've done in a while. I, I just loved you. You guys went off on a tangent a little bit. And you started talking about theme and, uh, and, uh, yeah. and and various things, and I, I actually enjoyed that part of the interview the most, where he sort of you, you talked about his different approaches and uh, uh, to uh, to Craven and the Last Hunt and the Ben Riley and the motivations behind why he did and why he wrote what he did, and it was it's a very good interview. I definitely encourage people listening to uh, to check it out.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that, Rocky. It's, it's kind of similar to the Jerry Conway interview that I did. Yeah. You know, when I talked to these older creators, they they've been around so long and they've answered those questions of, you know, the, the, the common questions about their, their seminal work so many times it's uh, I think they like diving in a little deeper. So hopefully uh, we were able to do that. Uh, I was supposed to have an interview with Kevin Scott, uh, but due to some scheduling issues that has been delayed, but it will be coming up at, at some point. And he's the writer uh, so- of uh, Titans
1: United, right? He wrote that yep. series Titans United, which we enjoyed so Titan much. Titans United,
0: Yep. And he also has a, 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 um, a series with vault called secret service that we'll, we'll talk about as well. It's got a bunch sure. of star Wars work. So we'll be covering all that uh, at some point in the future when he comes back on the show. And then the last thing I'll mention, another episode that came out yesterday uh, is a a quick conversation with a woman named Jennifer Stevens-Bacham. And she is the sister of Dave Stevens, the creator of the rocketeer oh, wow. uh, and, and some other uh, pulp characters and just a fantastic artist taken uh, by cancer far, far too soon. Uh, There is a campaign running on Zoop, the crowdfunding platform right now for a Dave uh, Stevens-drawn Rocketeer puzzle, Uh, and it's the the back cover of the first issue of Rocketeer. It's a very famous, uh, iconic image. It's called the bullseye image, and it's a black background, a red bullseye, and the Rocketeer standing on the edge of a roof holding his pistol helmet on, jetpack. Super, super amazing piece of art. you can get it on a puzzle. There's also a print available from the campaign and a a shirt and it's, the shirt is black, just like the background of the image. So it's all negative space and you just get Uh the rocketeer standing on the edge of the building. So I encourage everybody, there's a link in the show notes for that to go to the campaign or just go to zoop.gg and you can find the campaign. Uh, The puzzle itself comes in this really awesome box that has like a, like a bookcase type cover. You know, it's like opening a book that has like a magnetic flap. Uh It's a, the puzzles in a mesh bag. I'm thinking, man, I, I might get it and like put the puzzle together and have the puzzle framed or I might just keep the puzzle in the mesh bag to put together, you know, over and over again, but then have the box on my bookshelf. Like it has a nice, like, uh you know, the side of the box looks like a, the spine of a book. So you could put it on your bookshelf or you could store stuff in there. It's like, yeah. It's it's just a beautiful, beautiful product. So uh, I encourage everybody to go to go and check out that interview uh with Dave Stevens sister. It's so clear that, you know, they miss Dave and I just want to honor his memory. So be I, sure and, and check that out.
1: I have to say, I have to interject and say, I love Dave Stevens. I've got, I'm only missing about five of his comic books that I'm aware of. And I'm, I am I, searched for them on eBay. I am I'm a huge Dave Stevens fan, a huge Rocketeer fan. I'm so, I had no idea you talked with her. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I am definitely getting that puzzle, man. That sounds awesome. Yeah, and, I'm, that's yeah, awesome. Right. Right now, I'm going
0: to go to the site right now. I know there's an early bird special. Um, I think it's for the first two days. So you have a little while left, I think. Oh, for sure. Uh, what's the, what's that
1: site again? Could you say that site? What's that site?
0: Zoop.gg. So Z-O-O-P yeah. dot g Yeah. So the, the early bird special is the bullseye bundle and it's available for the first uh, 48 hours. So wow. if you're hearing this on Tuesday, you need to go right now.
1: I'm doing it. <laughs> because it's going to end it.
0: Tuesday at midnight. So the bullseye <laughs> bundle, you get the shirt, the puzzle, and the print all for $72. Done. So the puzzle is $30 on its own. The print is 25 and the shirt is 25 So if you get them all together, you're saving yourself 8 bucks.
1: No problem. Uh, so yeah, it's uh,
0: definitely <laughs> go check it out. Go, yeah, go listen to the... Um, Go listen to the interview, the chat. It's real short. I think we talked for about 15 minutes, Jennifer and I did. So uh, yeah, and then this weekend I'll be at WonderCon in Anaheim. If anybody's out there, um, I'll be tweeting throughout the show. Be sure you follow me on social media. I may have some things to give away. Um, It's been a while since I've done a WonderCon. I think the last time I did a WonderCon, I gave away a bunch of iPads. I'm not saying I'm giving away iPads this time. (laughs) Don't, don't, Don't think that, but I do have some some books possibly or stickers or lanyards or, or something, something to give away if you track me down at the show. So uh, anyway, Rocky, anything you want to plug I know You've been super busy
1: with the day job. Uh, I, I don't have uh, not, not in particular. I, I might do, I, I might be compelled to do my toilet top three, uh, which is sort of like uh, every now and then I do my toilet top three, that comic books that really annoy me. Uh, but but quite frankly, I, I don't do it every week because actually I've been generally, I I only, only very special comics that I particularly have a disdain for make the toilet top three. So I don't always, you know, I don't do it every week, but I I think I might be compelled to do it this week. Uh, But, but we'll see. We'll see. I am very busy, but, but we'll see. Every now and then I'm good for a good rant. So.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you are for sure.
1: uh Well, let's end on a on a positive note. Okay. um
0: What was your favorite? What was your favorite book of these? I mean, we had a couple. There's a couple.
1: Ah, oh, wow. Say at
0: least four. At least four contenders. Swamp Thing was great. DC versus vampires. Shadow yeah. War Alpha. Batman you know Beyond the White Knight.
1: Yeah, I, I would. I would have to say for my out of continuity stories. I would have to say uh, D.C.V. Vampires. I I really enjoyed the 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 character work that Tinian and Rosenberg did for D.C.V. Vampires. I thought it was very good, and that revelation of night about Nightwing. I thought that was very good, and I got a oh man, uh, probably a close second. Or I guess for an incontinuity story, I probably would have to go with Shadow War Alpha, even over v Swamp Thing, because I I I'm really impressed with how Joshua Williamson, how consistent. Shadow War Alpha is flowing out of Deathstroke Incorporated in Robin. I think Joshua Williamson has done a really good job. He's he's handling – he's got so many moving parts. He's like a juggler, but instead of three balls, he's got like six or seven balls going, and he's doing a fairly consistent job for DC. So i got to give him props.
0: All right. Well, so,
1: I asked you for one. You gave me two.
0: Well, I had to cheat
1: I'm, a little bit. I mean – I uh,
0: Well, no. I, I'm glad you did cheat because it makes it easier for me because I was – I hadn't, hadn't even decided, am I going to pick Shadow War Alpha or am I going to pick Batman Beyond the White Knight? They're both so good. Which one do they I are, pick? Which yeah. one do I pick? I don't know. I don't know. It's like Sophie's choice. But since you went with two in continuity and out, then it makes it easy for me. In continuity, I'll go with Shadow War Alpha. Out of continuity, I'm going with Batman Beyond the White Knight. Oh, I think the, implica- <laughs> the implications of Jason Todd being the first Robin – fascinating the implications of jack napier still being alive oh my god fascinating bruce wayne finally after being the model prisoner as you mentioned finally breaks out mm-hmm. uh yeah so good so good it, i i have seen chad and gordon murphy at shows before i've talked to him before i've never invited him on the show um i know at, at times he he has been a controversial figure Reading this Batman Beyond the White Knight, all I could think was, man, I want to get Sean Murphy on the show so bad and talk about this. So see if I can see if I can hook that up. Yeah. Uh, all right. Any last thoughts before we close it down here?
1: No, uh, just, uh, I just I wish you uh, a lot of fun and joy at WonderCon. I was with uh, hey. Trevor Lenkiewicz, uh, Dark Knight Nation, when we were at uh, we were at the Toronto Comic Con. We had a great time a couple of weeks ago. A fantastic time. And I hope you have a real good time at WonderCon.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. I'm excited to go. It's this is gonna be the first, you know, bigger convention that I've gone to since the pandemic started. It's still not back to normal. DC's not gonna be this is DC's home show. They're not gonna be there. No dark horse, no IDW. Like a lot of the yeah. companies aren't ready to, to go back. And the press opportunities have been smaller. I still have a few press rooms to do. Um in fact, I almost was going to get a chance to interview Cheech and Chong, but it didn't work out. They have a, <laughs> an original graphic novel called the, the History of Weed that's coming out later this year. It's coming out on 420 uh, next month. So how, how appropriate. But anyway, yeah, I'm just looking forward to seeing a bunch of people and, and having some drinks and, and relaxing. So we'll, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, anyway, we want to thank you all for joining us as always. Don't forget, hit me up if you're at WonderCon. Love to see you. Uh, and be sure you go and check out our uh, War for Earth 3 spotlight if you're wondering why well, you guys didn't talk about War for Earth 3 number two. It's a separate issue uh, or separate episode, rather, separate spotlight for that. So be sure and check that out. Check out the recent interviews. Be sure you head over to YouTube and subscribe to Rocky's channel if you're listening to the audio only. Just do a search for Comic Space Boom! exclamation point on YouTube. Ring the notification bell so you know when new content comes out. Like this video. Subscribe. You guys know how to do it. Uh, Anyway, that's going to be it for this episode, everybody. Appreciate you joining. We'll talk to you next time. See you later. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple.